It's the personal touch that really matters. It's the personal touch that really means so much. It's somebody going the, the extra mile, you might say, and actually write it down. Put it in an envelope. Address it. Put a stamp on it. And go to the effort of dropping it into a mail receptacle where someone will take it, process it, and deliver it to its intended recipient. It takes effort to write a letter. It takes effort to write an email. I mean, it does. But there's just something about that personal touch, isn't there? About writing a letter. I'll be honest with you. Some of you have written letters to me that I don't have anymore. My hunch is I've written letters to some of you that maybe you don't have anymore. There's some letters that we get and we are loving and we receive it and we're so thankful for it. But it, it doesn't have a, a special place in our home and, and things will stack up. And so uh, eventually some of those letters we don't hold on to. But I suppose like you, that I suppose you like me have a place of special letters that you have received. I have a, a little wooden box in a, our bedroom, sits on a bottom shelf. Somebody made it for me years and years ago. It's got a Jayhawk on the top of it. And they went to a lot of uh, length to make this, this little box. And I wondered, what am I going to do with this little box? And I determined what I was going to do was save letters. And letters that I wanted to save, letters that I wanted to hold on to, letters that, you know, on a dark day and you need to pick me up, letters that I could go back to and look at. And in that little box, I have letters from my grandparents who have passed away. In that little box, I have letters that my parents have written me over the years that I wanted to save. In that little box, I have letters from my girlfriend, then my fiancé, and now my wife. Save those. In that little wooden box, I have letters that the boys have written me over the years. Letters that I can go back to and I can look at and, and they remind me of, of good things and, and they're kind of a pick-me-up. Somebody took the time to, to write me a letter, and I've saved those away. I have letters in that box from some of you. Some letters that meant something extra to me, and I decided I wanted to hang on to that. And I've got those in that little wooden box in my bedroom on the shelf. I suppose you have something similar in your house. Probably you've got something saved away. Some, some letter that you received that was important to you, and, and you just didn't want to get rid of, and, and you've held on to it. Well, this morning I want you to think about a letter. I I want to think about what Paul has to say here in in this uh, context of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in those first three verses. In verse number 1 that Brother Roger did not read, that I I just asked him to do verses 2 and 3, but in verse 1, Paul says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? You know, letters of commendation. Uh, We might say it this way, letters of recommendation. I don't think this is done enough anymore, but I remember... uh, when my family was moving from Missouri, uh, from mid-Missouri, Mexico, Missouri, down to Branson, that some men of the congregation in Mexico wrote a letter of recommendation or of commendation to the leadership of the church in Branson and just said, hey, this, this family is sound. 
there's, you know, these are going to be perhaps good workers. I don't know everything that the letter said, but, but it was a letter of commendation. And they mailed that to the, the eldership of the Branson congregation. Just to say, I want you to know, we, we, we think highly of them. These are sound people. I think it's a good thing to do, a good practice to have. I'd never heard of it before. I've not heard of it much since, but it seems like a good thing to do. You've switched jobs before. One boss writes another, the next boss, and says, I recommend this person. This is going to be a good move. This is going to be a good thing. You've made a good hire. Paul says, do we need a letter of recommendation from you? He's defending his apostleship in this context. And what he's saying is, we don't need a letter of recommendation. You are our letter of recommendation. You in Corinth, I want to remind you that before we came and presented you with the gospel, you were lost. Before we came and told you about Jesus, you were not right with God. And he says, we have come, and Paul's not patting himself on the back, but he's just reminding them of what he had done for them, what Timothy had done for them. He said, we don't need a letter of commendation from you. You are our letter of commendation. Just look at you. You've got the ability to perform miraculous gifts by the Holy Spirit. Did you have that power before we presented you the gospel? No. You are our letter of commendation. Well, this morning I want you to think about the fact that he says in verse number 3, to these brethren, you are a letter of Christ. You are a letter of Christ. An epistle, a letter. And this morning, this morning, what I want to do is draw us four parallels. Because this has something to do with influence, brethren. This has something to do with influence. You are a letter of Christ. And so as we think about letters, I want us to think about our lives and the influence that we can have on others. That's what he's saying to them. There is an element here of influence. Let's think about that. What do we know about letters? Well, here's something very basic. (laughs) When it comes to letters, letters are often written in order to be read. Groundbreaking, right? Letters are written so that someone will read them. Isn't that true? Now, I have started to write letters in the past Maybe in anger, or maybe in disgust, or maybe, you know, I just thought it needed to be said. And so I started to write a letter, only to kind of think twice about it and decide, you know what, I don't think I want to write that letter. And you crumple up that letter and you throw it away. But that's not true of most letters, is it? Most letters that you write, you intend for someone to read them. That's why you go to the trouble of writing it down, of typing it out, because you want someone to read it. I want to remind you this morning of something that you know, but I want to remind you, people are reading you. People are reading your life. You are a letter of Christ, and people are reading you. They'll read you whether you speak to them or not. They will examine you, and they will examine your way of living. They will look at you and they will understand something about you by the way that you live. If you go over to 1 Peter, let's spend a little time in 1 Peter for a moment. And this is a favorite expression that Peter uses 
We're going to find it about four times, maybe five, in this one letter, 1 Peter. Peter's going to talk about conduct, your way of living. Maybe most familiar in this letter is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where Peter says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word, no speaking, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, your conduct, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. In verse 2, they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. They observe your way of living. A wife may have a husband who's not a Christian, and she may never win him by presenting him with the gospel repeatedly, opening the Bible repeatedly. She may not win him, she probably won't win him by being a somewhat nagging or always on him, hounding him. But Peter says, you want to know something? You may win him just by your conduct. Perhaps I've told you the story before of the wife who had a husband who was not a Christian. They had a little girl. And every Sunday... This wife got up and got herself prepared to go to worship. And every Sunday she would get their little girl out of bed and she would get her properly bathed and dressed and and she would get them in the car and they would leave that house and consistently they did this every Lord's Day. And as she was getting into the car and as he would watch the car drive away, the husband would be fuming with anger. Fuming at the audacity for her to get up and get herself ready. The audacity for her to get their child up and out of bed and for them to leave him there alone by himself. And so one day when he decided he'd had enough, he went to the car while she was getting herself ready. And I don't know if he unplugged a battery cable or exactly what he did, but he did something that he knew would cause the car not to start. He chose a rainy morning. And as was her custom, she got up and got herself prepared. And she got their little child up and out of bed and got her prepared. And they went out to the car as their custom was on Sunday morning. And she went to start the car and the car would not start. She went in and and asked, can you do something? And he said, no. And then he watched as she grabbed the hand of that little girl and started walking. And something happened that day. Instead of fuming with anger at her, he became angry with himself. He fixed the car in short order, and he drove and picked them up and went with them and later would become a Christian. Your conduct, your way of living, without saying a word, you can say everything there is. You are a letter of Christ. That's what Paul says to us still today. We are letters of Christ. And we can influence people even without saying a single word. I told you this is a favorite expression. Go over to chapter 1 and look at verse number 15. Peter says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in... How much conduct? All of it. You be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. You're a letter that people are reading. I'm just reminding you of that today. 
And he says, you be holy in all of your conduct. And so is the world my standard? No, God is holy. I'm striving to be like God. He is my standard. So I won't measure myself up against the world and say, you know what, I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to measure myself to God. I'm striving to be holy as God is holy. That's that's a lot, isn't it? For us to consider. Look at chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you, he says, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Listen to me. Peter says you are nothing but sojourners on this earth. This world is not your home. This world is not your standard. Your conduct is measured according to God. You be holy because He is holy. Peter says, you know what's going to happen. I mean, your your life is a letter that people are reading. And there are going to be those people like that husband who who don't appreciate what you're trying to do. And, And they don't appreciate who you are and what you're about. And they're going to be looking and examining your life. And they're going to want to get nitpicky. I'm not saying that God expects us to be perfect by any stretch because we're not, I'm not, you're not, we're not perfect. But he says there are people who are going to be nitpicking your conduct. They're going to be nitpicking your way of living. They're trying to pick you apart. They're trying to find your weaknesses. You ever had that happen to you? Where someone was just really sick of you. (laughs) They just really didn't like you much. They didn't like that everybody else liked you. And they try to nitpick and they try to pick you apart. And where can I find your weakness? I want to make you sin. I want to make you fall. How can that feel? Well, that can be draining. Somebody doing that to you, always looking, always trying to to find a weakness, always trying to to tear you down. Peter's saying, don't lose your cool. Don't lose your cool. When they get to nitpicking, When they get to examining, don't lose your cool. You just live the way you're supposed to. And he says, you know what will happen? By your good works which they observe, they they will glorify God in the day of visitation. The day of visitation there, to me, doesn't seem to be the day of judgment. Not talking about judgment day. Talking about the day when they decide to be a Christian like you. When they observe your good works, they've tried to pick you apart and they can't find it because you're striving to be like God. And ultimately what they decide is, I need to be with God. And they will see Jesus. They will dig you and dig you and pick you apart and pick you apart until who do they find? Jesus. That's where they're looking for. That's who we're trying to help them find. And in the day of visitation, the day that they become a Christian... They will glorify God. You see, this life is not about you. I'm not a letter of Adam. I'm striving to be a letter of Jesus. I want people to read Jesus in me. Letters are written to be read. Number two, letters convey the thoughts of the writer. I write a letter to convey my thoughts. I want to tell this person how much I care about them. I want to tell this person how much I love them or how much I'm thinking about them. I know they're going through a tough time, and so I want to convey my feelings to them, uh, trying to help them through. That's why we write letters sometimes, isn't it? We write letters to inform. 
The letters convey the thoughts of the writer. Again, I remind you that Paul, sa- Peter, uh, Paul says, we are letters of Christ. And therefore, I need to know something. If I'm going to be a letter of Christ and I want to convey in my life the thinking of the writer and the writer is Jesus, then that means I need to have the mind of Jesus. That's the mind that I need to possess. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to talk about the humility of Christ. That's the mind that I need to possess. As people are reading my life, it's not about me. In humility, I need to be willing to say, this is about someone bigger than me. Someone so much better than me. I need to have the mind of Jesus. I want to convey His thinking to the rest of the world. In the book of Colossians chapter 1, Paul says it this way in verse number 27. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 Paul says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Talking there about service for Christ and sacrificing ourselves that we might live for Jesus. And ultimately, he says, as we go about living our lives and people are watching us live our lives, that we need to be living as if Christ is in us. As Christians, he is. He's made his abode. We are living and letting Him live through us. Paul says those familiar words in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I live for Him. I'm just asking you this morning to think about your letter. I'm asking you to think about your life. I'm asking you the question, when people are reading you and reading your life, do they see you or do they see Christ? Because... Well, he needs to be magnified. I love this thought. I love this thought. In the book of Philippians chapter 1, read it from your own copy of God's Word. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 19, remember Paul is writing to these Christians, and he is sitting in a prison, and and he says, For I know that this, my being in prison, will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, listen, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death. It's a simple message this morning. It's so simple. But it is something that we better be very serious about. People are reading me. And people are reading you. And the question is... Is Jesus magnified in my life? That word magnified in the original language starts with the the little prefix mega. Mega. And that's exactly what you think it is. It's big. It's large. It's illuminated. Christ has to be magnified in my life. My letter is about Him. My life is about Him. And He must be magnified. So again, there might be searching for something negative in your life, but Christ has to be magnified. I want to ask you this question along those lines. This may be a bit of a sidebar, but I want you to ask yourself this. Why, why Why do you do the things that you do? 
I mean, as I scan the audience this morning, I see a lot of really nice people. I mean, you are nice people. You are selfless people. You are people who go out and you help others. You are people who go out and you really do, it seems to me, let your lights shine. I'm not talking down to you at all this morning. We're trying to help ourselves. But I see a lot of really nice people. I try to be a nice person. My parents raised me to be a nice person. We're trying to raise our boys to be nice people. Why do you do what you do? Why are you nice? Why, why are you a good person? Why do you do nice things for others? As I was thinking about this thought, and this sermon, and this, this particular point, I stopped to ask myself, Adam, what is your motivation? I'm not putting myself above you, I promise. I don't want to do that ever. I really try to be nice. I really do. I, I, I want to be nice. My parents, again, raised me to be nice. I want to be a nice person. But I have to ask myself, am I nice just for the sake of being nice? Do I try to be nice? And I'm, I'm, I can be ugly. I, I'm sorry. I have that in me too, and I don't want to be. But, but when I am nice, is it just because I'm, I just am nice? Or do I do what I do in those moments when I do good? Do I do that to really magnify Jesus? I mean, what's your motivation for being nice? Is it really to magnify Jesus? I have to stop and ask myself, what is your motivation for this? Does this have anything to do with Jesus? Are you really trying to magnify Jesus in your life? Or is that just kind of who you want to be? There are going to be a lot of nice people who are lost eternally, my friends. I don't want to just be nice for the sake of being nice. Everything I do, I want to magnify Jesus. That's what we're about. That's who we're called to be. Paul says, I want to magnify Jesus in my life and everything I do. And so when people see me do something that's nice, I want them to understand that there's motivation behind it. And it's Jesus and what He's done for me. I want to be nice. Ultimately to magnify Jesus. Do people see Jesus in me? Do people see Jesus in my speech? Do people see Jesus in the way that I dress? Do people see Jesus in the things that I do? Do people see Jesus in the attitude that I continually have? Do people see Jesus in the places that I go? Do people see Jesus in my consistency? Do people see Jesus in my conduct? Letters convey the thoughts of the writer. And if the letter is Jesus's, I want to convey his, him and his thoughts through the way that I live. That's important for us to think about. Number three, letters bear a signature. You ever ever uh, written a letter and then not signed it? Well, sometimes we have those anonymous letters. Julie and I received one of those when one of the boys, it must have been Evan, I don't think Alan was born yet, so I'll lay this on Evan. (laughs) But uh, we received an anonymous letter one time. Someone, an older person in the congregation, they wrote in very scribbly letters, 
and they were upset that, that he had been running in the church building. Well, he shouldn't have been running in the church building, but they, they scribbled it so we couldn't recognize the handwriting, and they didn't sign it, so we don't know who wrote it. You know, sometimes we write anonymous letters, but most often we sign them, don't we? We want them to know who wrote it. We want them to know who, who the letter came from. We want them to know that these are my thoughts that I am conveying to you. I'm reminding you that as Christians, we wear the name of Jesus. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. There is salvation in no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. James says in chapter, three and verse, uh, chapter 2 verse 7 that it is a noble name by which we are called. We wear the name of Jesus. Our lives have a signature. And it's His. Now, this life in the end is really not about me, is it? It's not about you. We wear His name. We bear His signature. I heard it said once that Alexander the Great conquered the world by the age of 30, 32, conquered the world. And he had a soldier in his ranks that uh, was lazy, known to be a lazy soldier. And uh, so he went to the soldier, but the soldier had the same name as Alexander the Great. So they shared a name. And here he is, the commander of the army, and he's got this lazy soldier who has his name. And so he went to the soldier one day, and he said, you got two options. You either change your name or you change your way of living. Those are your options. I want to have a life that bears the name of Jesus. And there are too many in our world who claim to have the signature of Jesus in their life, but they don't obey Him. They don't try to be like Him. They don't try to do those things that he says. And Jesus says, why? why would you claim to be mine and not do what I say? Why would you claim that you and I wear the same name and you won't obey me? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Why would you do that? If you get the opportunity, if you have the privilege of wearing the name of Christ... The honor of wearing His name. Obey Him. Obey Him. He died for you. You can be washed in His blood. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have the hope of going to heaven to be with Him. Be like Him. Obey Him. Wear His name. And wear it proudly. But don't forget that when you wear His name... Yeah, you're taking that on, and you must bring glory to that name. Our lives are letters that people are reading. Our lives must convey the thoughts of the one who wrote them. Our lives wear the name. They have a signature of Jesus across them, if we're Christians. We need to be serious about that. And the last thing I want you to think about is that the letters can differ in length. You know, there are some letters, and again, I'm, I'm making this illustration, this parallel between letters and, and our lives. But there are some lives that, that are very short. There are some letters that people write, and they are impactful in just a few statements. It is said that when Bill Clinton took the presidency, 
George H.W. Bush left a, a letter on the desk in the Oval Office. And when President Clinton walked in, you see, these are two men. They've, they've battled it out. They have gone through all of the, the election process, and they've duked it out, and, and there's a winner. And President Clinton walks in, and, and he's, in essence, taking the presidency away from George H.W. Bush. And he finds a letter in, on the desk in the Oval Office, and all it said was, your success is the country's success. I'm rooting hard for you. Your success is the country's success. I'm rooting hard for you. He said a lot in just a few words. Mike, not so long ago, talked about the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, written by H.G. Spafford. Mr. Spafford was an attorney in Chicago. His son died, four-year-old son died of an illness in one year. And the next year, a lot of property that they had money invested in burned up. And they'd had a difficult stretch, to say the least. And so he decides, and you probably know the story, but he decides that they need to go on a vacation. They're going to go over to Europe. And as they get to the East Coast and ready to board the ship, there's an opportunity that calls him away. And he tells his wife and four daughters, you go on without me, I'll follow you. I won't be long, but I'll, I'll follow you later. And you remember that the ship that his wife and four girls was on, it, it crashed, it shipwrecked. Another ship hit it and it sank. It caught fire and it sank. And the four daughters died in that accident. Mrs. Spafford survived... Because unconscious, she happened to land on a piece of wood used for, that she could use for a raft. And, and she eventually came to. And when she came to, she wrote a telegram. She wrote a telegram to her husband. Telegrams are short. And the telegram said, Saved alone, what shall I do? Saved alone, what shall I do? You can say a lot in just a few words. There are lives that are lived that are short. You know, Jesus only lived on this earth about 33 years. And yet John would say at the end of his, of his epistle that he said, I suppose if everything Jesus did was written down one by one, all the books in the whole world couldn't contain everything that he did. Accomplished a lot in just a few years, didn't he? You see, your life may be short and your life may be long. Maybe you've been here for a short amount of time and maybe you've been here for a long amount of time. I'm telling you, no matter how long your letter is, no matter how long your life is, it needs to be full, full, capitalized. As we conclude this morning, I want you to think about that word full and what does that mean? How do I have a full life? Acts chapter 6. Turn with me there. Acts chapter 6 and verse 3. The Bible says, Therefore, brethren, the apostles speaking here, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. In verse number 5, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. In verse number 8, And Stephen 
full of faith. Other translations, grace, full of faith or grace and power did great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen lived a full life. He is full of the Holy Spirit. He is full of wisdom. He is full of knowledge. He is full of good works. He is full of grace. He is full of power. I want to live a full life. Those are things to be full of. You see, you can live a long life and in the end be empty. These are the things to fill your life with. This is what really matters. A couple more. Acts chapter 9 and verse 36. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. The woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Is your life full of these things? Full of good works? Full of charitable deeds? Oh, just a couple more. Just, it's fun. Think about it. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, Paul says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to admonish one another. Full, 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 filled. It is not how full your bank account might be. It is not how full your house may be. It is not how full you may be in your job. This is what's important. This is what a full life looks like. Mm, this is what's important. I just want to be reminded that my life is a letter and it needs to be a full one. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9, verse 11, we'll just skip down there, and he tells them that he wants them to be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. And I want you to conclude with me in James chapter 3. And I want you to be serious with me as you read these passages. And I want you to think about your life. And I want you to ask yourself, is my life really full? Or have I gotten to this point in my life and I'm empty? Ask yourself and think about it seriously. In James chapter 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good works, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. May we be a full letter, full of what really, really matters in the eyes of God. My friend, you are a letter of Christ. You are a letter to be read. A letter that is written to convey the thoughts of the one who it belongs to, and that is Jesus. Your life needs to bear His signature, and your life needs to be full. This morning as a Christian, as you examine yourself and your letter, that which others are reading, and well, no one knows it better than you, you should do it your, a little reading yourself. How are you living? How is your life? Are you really bringing glory to Jesus, the one who died for you, the one whose name you want to wear? Are you this morning living in such a way that you are bringing Him glory? You see, it's just not about you. This is about Him. And we need to be serious about the life that we're living. This morning, my friend, if you're not a member of the Church of Christ, if you're not a member of the church that belongs to Him, if you're not a Christian this morning, you don't wear His name. Well, there is salvation found in no other name. It's only in Him. And this morning, maybe, 
Well, maybe you need to start your letter. Maybe it's time to pull the paper out of the drawer and get out the pen and start writing your letter. Are you ready to become a Christian this morning? Are you ready to to be with Him and allow Him to write your letter? Are you ready this morning to become a Christian? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Are you willing to make that confession? Believing Him to be the Son of God and being willing, therefore, to repent of sin in your life? Believing in Jesus and therefore willing to obey Him even to the point of baptism where you meet His precious blood and your sins are washed away, forgiven? Brother Joe did a wonderful job helping us to prepare our minds for taking the Lord's Supper. And remember, it was Jesus, the Lamb, on whom all the iniquity was laid. This morning, He wants to remove your sin from you. He wants you to be reconciled together with God. And you do that through obedience. This morning, will you come to Him? Will you do what He says you must in order to be saved? If we can help you in any way, His invitation is extended. Will you come now while together we stand and while we sing?